Episode 8 of Season 1 of New York Undercover is entitled Missing and premiered on Thursday, November 3rd, 1994. The episode description reads, Detectives Williams and Torres investigate an incident involving the abduction of a young boy who happens to be the son of a politician running for office. JC and Sandy come to terms with their relationship. The episode is directed by Anthony Hickox and written by Natalie Chidez. Now, this is the second episode Chidez wrote in season one following the School Ties episode that aired as the series premiere. In the cold open, we see scenes of a young African-American boy leaving his doorman apartment building, shaking hands with the doorman and walking down the street with his purple stuffed dinosaur and a female caregiver. Set to the sounds of Jeanne's vibe, we then see the boy and his caregiver enter Central Park, the iconic Manhattan Park that is nearly 850 acres. We see other kids playing ball in the park and the caregiver stops to converse with other adult friends she sees in the park. Meanwhile, the young boy is throwing his stuffy around with other kids. He then runs off behind a pillar and out of sight of the caregiver, but reappears to the relief of the caregiver. They wave at each other. He continues to throw the stuffy up in the air, and as he does, we see a person in Tim's and blue jeans walk down the steps in the background. The caregiver looks over to see the boy one more time, but this time, he's gone. She screams his name as we fade to black. Hi everyone, I'm Chris Rose and welcome to New York Undercover Rewind, the podcast that discusses all things related to the TV series, New York Undercover. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. And check us out on X, formerly known as Twitter, at NYUndercoverTV. Now, the single Vibe was released by Motown in the summer of 1994 on the R&B group's debut album, which was called Pronounce Jane. Of course, you're probably also familiar with other hit songs of that debut album, including Hey, Mr. DJ and Groove Thing. Group also sang Shit on the Lowdown Dirty Shame movie soundtrack. Act 1 opens back at the precinct with Detectives Williams, Torres, and Richarelli, played by Frank Pellegrino, going over the results of the football pool that they lost again. Turns out they lost the pool to Sergeant Wosinski, played by Carol Shia. Now, Shia, if you didn't know, was actually a real-life NYPD police officer who made headlines months earlier when she appeared nude in the August 1994 edition of Playboy. Now, despite receiving permission to engage in outside work, the NYPD sought to terminate her for improper use of her uniform and unauthorized off-duty employment. Shia would eventually be terminated, and she then filed a lawsuit against the department for gender discrimination and wrongful dismissal. In the end, the court would rule against her. Anyhow, Lieutenant Cooper breaks up the football pool talk, and Richarelli gives union updates to the people in the squad room, and mentions the upcoming city council election, Rita Harrington versus Earl Reeves. He encourages them to vote for Harrington, as she seemingly has the NYPD's best interests at heart. Cooper returns and tells Torres and Williams to report to Central Park as they may have a missing kid and lights a fire under their ass and says, let's go. The detectives arrive at the park and interview the caregiver, the nanny, who says the missing boy is two years old and is named Michael. And one more thing. The missing boy is the son of Rita Harrington, the woman running for city council. 
the detectives meet up with Harrington in front of the world-famous Plaza Hotel. Played by Cynthia Martells, Harrington is told about her son's disappearance and breaks down. J.C. comforts her and tells her they will do everything in their power to find her son. Back at the precinct, Sandy shows up to talk to J.C. Now, J.C. had mentioned to Eddie that he and Sandy had been out of sync and missing each other's calls for the past few days. The two go for a walk and discuss why they keep missing each other's calls. Sandy says that as much as she has going on and as hard as she works, she just can't keep fitting her life into his schedule. She says that she thinks they need time apart. Now, this upsets JC, who begins to speak loudly to anyone in the street who will listen about her being a rich woman, educated at the finest schools, and him being just a short on cash brother who lost her important promotion. Now, as you may recall, back in episode five of season one, the episode called Garbage, JC got into it with Sandy's boss on the street, which likely led to Sandy missing out on her promotion. Back at the precinct, Torres narrows down the names of the suspects who may have abducted Harrington's son, Michael. They zero in on a person who has priors and was also prosecuted by Harrington, named Phil Peroni. When they arrive at Peroni's address, the suspect is not there, but the stuffed dinosaur is. Where is Michael? Fade the black. Act 2 opens with a crowd of news media on the scene and Cooper and Ricciarelli arriving on the scene. And Cooper, telling a reporter to take a walk, the detectives talk the case over with Cooper. Ricciarelli mentions that the super of the building says that the suspect, Peroni, left the apartment three weeks ago. But the super also noticed the person leaving the apartment earlier in the day and left in a black Jaguar. Torres also notes that Peroni has birds and that they will have Uni's canvas pet shops in the area to see if they could get any leads. Meanwhile, the now single JC heads over to Chantal's to meet up with G, but he's not there. He's spending the night at Chantal's mom's house. Chantal, played by Fatima Falloyer, tells JC that G has been telling people at school that his parents are still married and she thinks they should talk to G about it soon. He agrees to come back tomorrow, and she says she will cook him dinner. Chitlins for J.C. Mm-mm. Torres and Williams get a lead on a pet store owner, Mr. Yates, who is friends with Peroni. Turns out Yates and Peroni are both members of an organization that likes young boys. Icky stuff, and you can see the disgust on Williams' face. Yates gives them an address for Peroni in Chinatown, and it is there where they see him in an alleyway and give chase. He pulls a knife from them, but Williams eventually tackles him and pushes him to the ground, and they arrest him. Fade to black. Before we continue to recap, it's time for a trivia question. Actor Frank Pellegrino, who recurs as Detective Ricciarelli, guest starred in 11 episodes of this HBO series as a FBI bureau chief. The answer coming at you at the end of this episode. We come back from the commercial break at the precinct with Peroni in the box being interrogated by Cooper, Williams, and Torres. He denies kidnapping the kid and says he was at the boy lovers meeting when the kidnapping happened and that he doesn't want to go to prison. This is a pretty intense scene as Williamson grabs him by the collar angrily and calls him a sick bastard and says he will go to prison for murder. The interesting thing about the scene is that Torres is holding Williams back, but... You know, Lieutenant Cooper is giving him a lot of leeway, watching and letting 
Williams get his anger out of Brody. They're playing good cop, bad cop here. The next scene finds the detectives on the rooftop of the precinct. Now, the rooftop is their go-to place to clear their heads and have man-to-man discussions. You'll see this play out again in future episodes, like at the beginning of season two when JC is grieving, and even in the season three finale, you know, just as a few examples. Torres finds Williams on the rooftop, and he tells JC not to let the case get to him. Williams says he can only think about his son G and his face and what would happen if that was his child while dealing with Peroni, the alleged child molester. He also tells Eddie that he and Sandy took some time apart, but that he has a romantic date later that night. Cooper finds him on the roof and tells him to check out the people Peroni says he was at the meeting with. Basically, check out his alibi. Eddie offers to talk to all of them while JC goes and sees G. Another great example of, you know, Torres looking out for JC and, you know, JC always looking out for Torres. Good friend and partner right there. Back at Chantal's apartment, JC and Chantal talk to G about not letting people at school think that they're married. JC tells G that he loves him and throws Chantal a few compliments as well. And in return, G tells him that he loves him and they hug and kiss. Outside in the hallway... Chantal says thank you and JC says the boy has to know we respect each other even if we're not together. Now this is where the music comes in. Set to the sounds of fooling around by changing faces JC gets close to Chantal and holds her hand. Realizing where this is going Chantal says oh we playing Sandy now? He tells her they're not together anymore. She says oh I'm the rebound? Despite this they begin to kiss and make out which continues on her bed in her bedroom with JC on top of her until G half asleep walks in on them and is surprised to see them and heads back to his room. G's presence startles them and they discuss what to say to him and how not to confuse him. Fortunately, he is full back asleep in his bed and Chantel says to let him sleep and have his dream of his parents being together. Just for one night. JC agrees and JC and Chantal kiss and say goodnight. The next day at the station house, Eddie tells JC that all of the men at Peroni's meeting have accounted for his whereabouts. Because they took meeting minutes. The interrogation room are the detectives, Lieutenant Cooper, Peroni, his lawyer, and ADA Reynolds, played by Michelle Hurt. This is the first of five appearances by Hurt as Reynolds, but not her last time in the Dick Wolf universe as she was an original cast member of Law & Order SVU, among her many, many roles. Now, the look of the interrogation room is a bit different than it normally looks for some reason. Kind of looks like they knocked down a wall and the actors are performing on a big stage. Not sure what happened here in that scene. Peroni and his lawyer continue to proclaim his innocence, and the lawyer even says that Peroni spent the night in the hospital ward from getting beat up by inmates. Rich Riley tells Cooper and Torres that the hospital called with a child matching the description of the missing boy, Michael Harrington. Cooper and the deceased little boy being doted on by a nurse. To confirm his identity, Cooper calls his name and he turns around and smiles. Michael has been found. Fade to black. The final act opens with Michael being reunited with his mother. ADA Reynolds tells Rita that they will need to have Michael identify Peroni as his abductor through some pictures with a child psychologist. 
And even though Michael picks Peroni out of a lineup, the child psychologist admits that she has her doubts. Torres agrees that maybe Peroni is being set up as well and finds it odd that Harrington was behind in the polls before the abduction, but is now ahead. He thinks Harrington is hiding something, but Cooper disagrees and says the case is closed. However, Torres convinced Williams to look at the case one more time, and they return to the hospital to interview the doctor who found him and look at video surveillance footage. On the tapes, they see Michael being dropped in the lobby of the hospital by an unknown male individual. They remember the super mentioning a Jaguar and trace the car to an address, where they notice that Harrington's campaign manager, Jerry Gaines, resides. He begins to run away. They give chase, but a dog gets in the way, scaring Torres and allowing Gaines to get away. Back at the precinct, the detectives present their evidence to Cooper. Gaines and his girlfriend had been holding Michael for the past few days. Witnesses saw Harrington visit Gaines' home multiple times during that time. Harrington and Gaines set the kidnapping up in order for her to win the election. The detectives arrive at Harrington's headquarters and present her with the evidence. She initially denies it, but upon hearing that Gaines has been arrested at the airport and wants to cut a deal, she finally admits what she has done. She says that Peroni may not have abducted Michael, but he's a bad guy, and that they're losing the city. She adds that she and the police are on the same side. JC responds, not anymore. Rita Harrington is then led out of campaign headquarters in handcuffs in front of all of her supporters. JC takes his jacket off and puts it over her shoulders to cover the handcuffs. A simple gesture of respect towards her. The next scene finds JC and G back at Central Park discussing the events of the previous night and J.C. telling him that he and Chantal were not getting back together. Quote, But I promise you, I will always be your father, and she will always be your mother. End quote. The final scene of the episode is at Natalie's, with Stephanie Mills singing, What you gonna do with my love? Bad impression by me. And Torres and Williams grooving at a table watching her sing. And surprise, surprise, they are joined at Natalie's by Lieutenant Cooper, which if memory serves me correctly, this is the first time that Cooper has appeared at the nightclub. I could be wrong on that, but I think this is the first time. They discuss a bit of the case. The DA is filing against Harrington and Peroni gets a slap on the wrist for resisting arrest. The detectives are outraged that he's still on the street, but Cooper says they'll get him as we fade to black. End of episode. I give this episode an A minus. Key locations highlighted in this episode include Central Park and the surrounding neighborhood, as well as Chinatown. My only quibble, yes, I know I have to have at least one in every podcast, is that the hospital in this episode looks exactly like the hospital used in the previous episode, Tasha. And I know they're not supposed to be the same because they have two different names. Now, This is another strong episode that shows how even though Peroni the pedophile did some monstrous things, in this particular case he was innocent and the detectives had to be okay with that in order to bring Harrington to justice. Case was also equally balanced with JC's personal story with Sandy. And though they love each other, they are from two different worlds and deep down JC probably doesn't think he's good enough for her. In addition, he continues to be a great role model for G and gives him great advice. 
And let's not forget JC trying to get some booty from Chantel, but being thwarted by G. Dang. Now, quick note on changing faces fooling around. The single was released on the group's self-titled album in November 1994. Right around the time this episode, rather hit song on the album was Stroke You Up, which peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. Both songs were written and produced by R. Kelly. Now, Brooklyn native Stephanie Mills starred as Dorothy in the original Broadway run of The Wiz Musical in the 1970s. And then in the 1980s had a string of number one R&B hits, including Home, Something in the Way You Make Me Feel. She also won a Grammy Award for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance for her song Never Knew Love Like This Before in 1981. What You Gonna Do With My Lovin' was actually the third album by Stephanie Mills. It was released in 1979 and was actually co-produced by James M. Tume. It was the music supervisor on You're Gonna Cover. Here we go. Let's go back to the trivia question. Actor Frank Pellegrino, who recurs as Detective Richarelli, guest starred in 11 episodes of this HBO series as an FBI bureau chief. The answer? The Sopranos. Pellegrino appeared on the series as FBI bureau chief Frank Cupitoso. Before his passing in 2017, Pellegrino was the co-owner of Rao's, a very popular Italian restaurant in East Harlem, and also very hard to get a reservation at. Folks, that's our time for this show. I'm Chris Rose. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, like, rate, and review us. And send me an email with your thoughts on the podcast to New York Undercover Rewind at gmail.com. And finally, check us out on X, formerly known as Twitter, at NY Undercover TV. Bye now. <laughs>